Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. I'm Cody Fields, the president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects. You can check us out at westminstereffects.com and make sure you join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Uh, also, follow uh, and comment on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify, all that good stuff. Also, you got about a week left on the Indiegogo campaign to help offset my NAM expenses because that junk is expensive. Uh, joining me in his office is... This is Bradley Cox and the lead pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. And old John Ross is apparently Bailed. on the left coast. He's a bum. He apparently had to do some work and travel and stuff. Who works? Who works for a living? Right? Just go on welfare. That's what it's all about, right? Become a pastor. You work <laughs> one day a week. That's all we do. Right. So, uh, and following with our new format... Uh, last week's worship service, well, it's only us two, mm-hmm. so I guess we've got uh, just the two of us pheasants. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, just the two of us. so Keith, our uh, associate pastor who was on the podcast, a uh, well, I guess a couple months ago, talking about uh, renovations and all that good stuff, preached on Philippians two and basically laid out. Uh, how important hypostatic union is, mm-hmm. uh, to use the fancy term, the fully God, fully man, but one person of Jesus, uh, but our entire life group. And I'm sure in the office you have been giving him so much crap <laughs> for his line of, of the king came to dwell with pheasants, um, which was pretty grand. Uh, there, 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 there are quite a few little anecdotal things that Pastor Keith has said from the <laughs> We won't go into all of those today, but that was pretty funny, um, and I'm sure your life group has given him all kinds of grief about that. We have we have a secret Facebook group, so we can share <laughs> prayer requests or coordinate activities and stuff, and last night I changed the group photo to a pheasant <laughs> because I have no shame. But <laughs> one of, one of, I will say this. One of the better ones was when he, he preached... Um, on the story of Mephibosheth and his attempts at saying that name <laughs> throughout the message were hilarious. Oh, bless, we shouldn't make fun of him. Bless his heart. Here, but we do. We do love Keith. We for do the love record. Him. We love him to death. For the record, uh, but yeah, you you led worship. How did, I did. how did that go on your end? It was good. Um, our listeners don't know, but I, I've actually battled a physical issue this year. I have a what's called a vocal cord granuloma. It's um, for all intents and purposes, it's it's a injury to my vocal cords that has come by way of overuse and abuse of my voice. Um, and also a pretty significant ongoing battle that I have with acid reflux disease. But um, suffice to say, those uh, of you who are listening who sing regularly and lead worship regularly, take care of your voice. Um, warm your voice up. Uh, there's a great podcast um, that actually my wife found called The Unhindered Voice. Uh, you can find that on iTunes, Spotify, whatever, and it's I think it's the vocal coach who works with a lot of very prominent praise and worship mm-hmm. artists like Elevation and other people, prominent singers, and he does a great podcast that's specifically designed to help you warm up your voice before church, um, and it's great for singers, it's great for those of us who teach and preach on a regular basis, um, so all that to say... 
Uh, I have my voice has been getting better, and leading worship Sunday was really good. It, yeah, it, um, it it didn't. I didn't have a lot of pain. I, uh, my voice held up pretty well, uh, and that was really good. And it was also, I, I love leading worship. I haven't gotten to do it a whole lot this year at all, but it was great. It's great to lead worship. Um, we had a great Advent emphasis um, in 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 the middle of worship, and that was that was really good. So yeah, it was a great Sunday. Yeah, I had the first half of the music stuff, the front end of it was kind of weird for me because I had my own physical thing that I didn't really tell anybody about where uh, last Monday I was running my drill press on a pretty small enclosure and it got caught and started spinning around and it split the very edge of my thumbnail. Oh my goodness. And I was bleeding everywhere and it was great. And so I did the whole, you know, new skin that that product uh, yep. was basically mm-hmm. just like glue. So I, mm-hmm. I glued it shut and played the basketball game that night. <laughs> Which, by the way, Cody Fields is a baller. <laughs> I mean, he's the most injury-prone human being I've ever met in my life. But the, <laughs> man, the man can ball, man. We've got a little church basketball team. Oh, man. It's been fun. It's, it's mostly, I like to envision myself as a nicer Dennis Rodman. <laughs> <laughs> So you got to dye your hair red. Right. My red. my parents could probably identify with that because like when I would play church league in elementary and middle school like I was always diving everywhere trying to keep balls from going out of bounds and stuff and uh but yeah, anyway, like I had that split fingernail and I didn't realize it until I got to church, but that glue had worn off in the shower. So I had a little piece of thumbnail poking up, Ooh. and I didn't want, because I wrap my thumb, I play over the top a lot, mm-hmm. and I didn't want that to uh, get caught on a string. So I went to Jesse and got some medical tape from him and wrapped it, and 15 seconds into the first song, I was like, this is not going to work, and I just had to tear the thing off and and roll with you it. You went full beast mode. I, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't bleed on my guitar. I've done that before. Which, yeah. when you bleed on a guitar, it's just the most metal thing you that's can just, do, right? That's just that's boss, right? There. Year, years ago, years ago, I was in a band, um, a terrible band back in college, but our uh, our guitarist was diabetic and apparently was a little bit of a free bleeder, and he was doing a stage maneuver where he's taking the guitar across and like shoving it up toward the ceiling or whatever, and he caught himself with the headstock above his eyebrow and bled. Everywhere, the pictures of that were just glorious. <laughs> they were so brutal. That's awesome. But anyway, to get into proper topics, I guess we cut that segment in half since John's not here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this whole kerfuffle going on with uh, Lauren Daigle, uh, where. You know, she said some things that a lot of people aren't taking. They're not taking it very well. And I mean, honestly, I would. I think we'd both agree. Like, it's not the best thing in the world to say <laughs> when you're when you're questioned in an interview about something that seems pretty biblically clear, and you just kind of soft pedal everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess to get the official quote out there, she was asked uh, regarding is homosexuality a sin. She said, quote, I can't honestly answer on that in the sense of I have too many people that I love and they are homosexuals. I can't say one way or the other. I'm not God. 
When people ask questions like that, I just say, read the Bible and find out for yourself. And when you find out, let me know because I'm learning too. Now, the immediate reaction we saw from a lot of people was just pure anger. Mm-hmm. And I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was honestly a little irritated, <laughs> which is to be expected. I was like, come on, dude, you're you're trying to go mainstream as a Christian artist, have the Christian answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, if, if that's honest, um, at least she's being honest, so then she can be taught, I guess, right? How do we respond to that? Let me see your paper there. Yeah. I want to read the quote, and I want to... I, I, not that I want to dissect um, her, but let's let's just look at what she said. Yeah. Okay. Um, first of all, she says honestly, I can't answer that. Um, and then I would connect that statement with read the Bible and find out for yourself. And when you find out, let me know because I'm learning too. So if she's ignorant mm-hmm. about that question. If she's yep. ignorant about what the Bible has to say about homosexuality and and what what a gospel approach to homosexuality would be, then I have compassion for that. I sure. mean, it's it's certainly possible that someone who genuinely loves Jesus doesn't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. And so I think there at least is one one take we could, you know, um, we could have on this and and Resist getting angry. I mean, that's that's to me is is just never the right response. Sure, it's getting angry at a person. We, mm-hmm. we we should be able to have honest conversations about the truth, and 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 be able to interact with people and 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 wrestle with these kind of issues without getting angry. Uh, so that's one take on it. Um, but then she goes on to say, which this is to me more problematic, is that I. In the sense, she says, in the sense, I I have too many people that I love, and they are homosexuals. So, if you look at that statement, she, it sounds like she's saying, I can't call homosexuality a sin and still love these people. Mm-hmm. That that would be an unloving thing to do. Right. Which that is just. That's a lie. Right. That's, that's not true. It's not unloving. In, in fact, what is unloving is to to be in a relationship with a person and not, it, especially if that person calls themselves a believer. Yeah, absolutely. And to not say, look, this is sin. This is not of God. That's, right. That is a very loving thing to do. So that's that could be a, a place where the enemy has twisted that in her mind mm-hmm. to think that I can't call homosexuality a sin and still love be loving towards people in my in my life that I'm in relationship with so there's another point of compassion for her mm-hmm. is that she she's misconstrued that um, and and then you know for her to say read the Bible and find out for yourself um, we've already talked about she could be ignorant about what the scripture says but she obviously knows that the scripture has something to say about it right. And is she reading the scripture? Is she diving into the Bible and into God's Word to find out where, she, how she should think about these issues? Mm-hmm. And, and instead of just saying, "Well, you go read the Bible, figure it out, and tell me," mm-hmm. there's a part of me that wants to say, "No, Lauren, you need to read the Bible, and you need to know this because this stuff matters." Mm-hmm. So that that that's just kind of my 
exposition of her answer that I, I see the problems and I see a lot of points of compassion. I don't sure. want to get angry with her. I want to mm-hmm. say, Lauren, read your Bible. Lauren, understand it's not unloving towards people to call homosexuality a sin. That's a cultural lie that, that you know, we have believed. And, um, and you know, Read your Bible. I'll come back to that again. <laughs> Read your Bible, Lauren. And, and, it's like and, that's a recurring theme on this show or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, and like I had I had a similar experience several years ago with a guy who used to be in the music scene around here and, and claimed to be a Christian. And, you know, this conversation heated up and you were kind of like everybody was forced to deal with it in, in one way or another. And, and he had moved away and was visiting again and he had basically like I kind of saw it coming where now he's just full blown at least theological liberalism or process theology type stuff even has gone uh, vegan so like full SJW Um, (laughs) you know you know you're in the south when you equate vegans with social justice warriors Um, (laughs) that's hilarious but, but he had like he had questions and he was wrestling with stuff and and eventually it, it he caved into the I can't love people and not affirm their their choices in this in this matter mm-hmm. um, so it, it ultimately became a uh, him even rejecting how he obviously saw uh, the nature of scripture mm-hmm. uh, you know it being basically dudes as they experience God or something like that mm-hmm. um, which which I think brings up a good point uh, I read an article on I think it was Pathios uh, like a month ago or so um, and I'm if I remember and spoiler alert I won't remember if I remember I'll put the link in the show notes where it kind of talked about how so many modern worship artists don't have any formal theological training Whereas you look at the past, you got Newton, Luther, etc., and these guys were seminary grads or at least had something yeah. where they were diving in. And you look at, and obviously not to rip on someone like Chris Tomlin because he makes fine songs, mm-hmm. but he has a music degree and that's it. Um, as opposed to saying, hey, how about go talk to your pastor when you have questions? <laughs> Read more than, you know, just. Uh, Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest every day, as good of a book as that is. Right. Like, read read chunks of scripture at a time. Mm. Uh, do, do you think there's any correlation with that? Like, oh, absolutely. hey, maybe, maybe she just needs to be taken under someone's wing for a minute. Yeah, I, I don't know who her pastor is, if she has a pastor. Yeah, I have, I, I have no idea about her church background at all. I, I don't know if she attends church. Is she in a small group? Is she, you know, again, you read her quote, and you could almost come away thinking that she doesn't read her Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are people writing songs for her, helping her write songs? Where is she getting her lyrics? Are those, right. are those coming out of, you know, and I'm not super familiar with her music. I'm not either. I, I mean, not terribly. I, I've listened to a few songs and what I've heard seems seems good. But you know, are those are those lyrics coming from a deep, rich communion with the Lord in her soul and that mm-hmm. that includes time in the scripture, uh, includes sitting under sound teaching? I don't know the answer to that. And but I do think there are a lot of worship leaders who 
detach what they do, the ministry they do, from theology. Right. And I'm one of these people that I think every Christian should be a theologian. That doesn't mean you have to go read, um, you know, Read everything Jonathan Edwards ever wrote, or Calvin, or 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 dive in deep to the 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 narrative of church history like a scholar would. But at the same time, theology should matter to every believer, and especially those of us that take the microphone in some form or another. Right. We should. There should be a basis upon which we are singing from. I I, I read a quote from uh, Sproul. I think today, actually, that, I, and I'm, I, I can't say it verbatim, I'm going to paraphrase, but it essentially was that worship in the absence of knowledge is not worship. Yep. If you don't know mm-hmm. what it is you're singing, if you don't understand that, yep. it's not true worship. And I agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost uh, like me telling my wife, that I love her because she has blonde hair and blue eyes where <laughs> anybody who knows my wife knows that she has big, vibrantly dyed red hair and we both wear all black yeah. <laughs> all the time. Yep. So if I tell my wife that I love her blonde hair, she, she'd probably make fun of me <laughs> knowing her. She probably wouldn't slap me. She's not violent, yep. but <laughs> there would be words mm. That are sar- at least sarcastic, if not biting, and rightfully so, because that would mean that I'm praising her for something that she's not. Exactly. And and that's, you know, obviously there's going to be some worship stuff, even from guys who are rooted really well in theology. Like, you quoted Sproul. Uh, there's stuff that we're going to disagree with Sproul on. Absolutely. Like, his, his you know, we're credo-baptists and he's Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's two points of contention there, but at the same time, say he say <laughs> say uh, Sproul wrote a hymn about pedo baptism. Well, we're not going to denounce him as a heretic. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> we would just say, nah, we're not on board with that. Exactly. But you know, Lauren has an amazing voice. Sure, yeah. And the I, I listening to her music, I, I never really had the thought that she wasn't coming from a place of genuine, authentic worship. Um, and I don't, I'm not going to necessarily conclude from this, you know, this question that she was asked and the answer that she gave that she doesn't genuinely love Jesus. I'm not going to conclude that. I don't think that that's, you know, the fact that she is pushing back from the table. Uh, at a culturally hot-button topic doesn't necessarily mean that she isn't orthodox in, in her thinking or that she isn't uh, in genuine, you know, a genuine lover and believer in Jesus. I, I, I'm not going to conclude that. Um, and at the same time, I'm not going to sit here and say that she has a well-informed understanding of the gospel um, and that there might be some pressure that's on her that she's now feeling as she grows in popularity that mm-hmm. if her theological underpinnings are weak, yep, you know, there is a scripture that talks about so that we aren't tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that there, she might be at risk, you know, and, and, and that, that the kind of pressure 
that is growing in our culture, in our part of the world, against Orthodox Christianity, mm-hmm. when you're put on the platform, I had a mentor that said one time, um, he's, he told me this, he said, talent will get you on the platform, but character will keep you there. Right. Um, or throwing people under the bus. <laughs> exactly. 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 But it's possible that Lauren's talent has gotten her to a platform that maybe when it comes to, again, her theological underpinnings that she's not quite ready for. Yeah. Which, again, for me, is another point of compassion. And I, the pastor in me comes out, and I want mm-hmm. to I want to sit down and, and talk with her, and I want to support right. her. And, and, and I hope and pray, I genuinely hope and pray, that there is a pastoral figure in her life that's doing that. Right, and that's that's kind of something that we've been kind of doing at Res is, you know, not to get back too much into the theological training thing, but it's like as long as you have talent and a quote-unquote heart for God, then you're automatically the next worship superstar. Exactly. Where we're trying to, even if it happens more quote-unquote organically, mm-hmm. um, what we're trying to do is find a scriptural basis for every single thing that we do, mm-hmm. whether it's a song or whether it's song lyrics or whether it's, you could even make a, an argument for instrumental usage. Because <laughs> exactly. if God didn't command it, you probably shouldn't do it. Well, we've, <laughs> we've wrestled as a team yeah. with... Is is there a place? Is there an appropriate place for there to be an instrumental period in a song where yeah. there is no singing? Is right. that is that appropriate biblically? Mm-hmm. And and I think we came to a good conclusion that it is. There yeah. is a there is a place and a space for the instruments to um, take the lead. I don't I don't personally don't think that should be the dominant uh, right. thing in a worship service. But I do think from time to time there is a I have a biblical. I can think biblically about you on the electric guitar Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. taking an extended solo and that that can be for the glory of God. It's not just a, you know, a a performance that you're getting. Mm -hmm. And um, so anyway, I I think, yeah, having those biblical theological roots for everything we do. And if you're going to call yourself a Christian artist, if you're going to lead worship in a church, I think having these the theological basis for what you do and what you sing and why you sing it is is huge because this stuff is just going to continue. Oh yeah, uh, we're going to continue to face this kind of pressure. Um, and 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 one thing too, we're we 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 know this. We all know this. I'm not saying anything that we don't already know, but we live our culture right now. Everybody is so afraid of offending people. Right. We are so afraid of offense. That we don't really know what to do. Right. That's you, that's why I was like, obviously, I disagreed with some of the stuff that was said. But did you see any of uh, John MacArthur's interview with Ben Shapiro? Absolutely. I, and I yeah. think he's right on. Yeah. You and, might want to give context. Yeah. There. So Shapiro asked him, you know, hey, does are you concerned that some of this stuff that you're saying might offend might offend uh, Democrats? And he said, I hope I offend everybody. <laughs> well, he said this because is what, yeah. this is what MacArthur said, and I think he's right on. And granted. You, you, when you consider the source, there's part of you that just sort of wants to kind of, you know, get a little cockeyed towards MacArthur because of who mm-hmm. he is and what he's done historically. But I think he's right. He said, I, it is my goal to offend people every Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, because, and, and this is the, the, the reason he gave, because the gospel is offensive. Right. It is offensive to human reason, human logic, 
natural human behavior, natural human thinking, it is offensive. And and we, it's Christians, we better lean into the spirit for courage uh, because the the gospel call to offend human Mm -hmm. thinking and carnal thinking is, it's right before us. In, 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 right. in a in a fresh and new way, and so we better be ready for that. And I I wonder. I, I again, I'm speculating. I wonder if Lauren Daigle was ready for that. Right. So speaking of cultural pressure, brilliant segue. Obviously, you brought up a, a story, kind of on the other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, walk us through that. Give us a, a summary of this guy in Turkey. Mm-hmm. So a lot of you may be familiar with the story, uh, an American pastor named Andrew Brunson, who became a missionary church planter in Turkey, um, who was just recently this fall, I think in October, released from after spending 21 months in a Turkish prison. He was accused of espionage and terrorism by the Turkish government um, and spent 21 months in prison and the Lord used Donald Trump, um, of all people to put some pressure on Turkey and he ultimately ended up getting released. Um, so uh, some might be somewhat familiar with that story. He's a, he's an ARP missionary church planner. And interestingly enough, the church that he pastored in Turkey was called resurrection church. (laughs) Um, and my understanding is, and we're, I think we're going to post a link to the article in the show notes, so, um, which was actually going to be my recommended reading for today. Yep. Uh, so he was, I, th- I think his church was trying to reach out and care for Syrian refugees that were poured into Turkey, and they were handing out Bibles and um, doing other forms of sort of humanitarian aid in the name of Christ there. And... Um, th- Right around the time, a couple of years ago, when there was a coup in Turkey, he ended up getting arrested and, like I said, charged with espionage, working for the CIA, um, and terrorism, none of which was true at all. The, the Turkish government was just making stuff up. It's not illegal, as I understand it, to be a Christian or to even proselytize in Turkey, but there is enormous social and cultural pressure against Christianity. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think even in the wake of the coup, there have been some political figures that have risen up advocating for a more strict adherence to Islam. And so, um, long story short, the people can read the article. Um, Andrew found himself in a Turkish prison for the better part of two years. And he talks about that first year and just how hard it was. He lost 50 pounds he was in utter despair, and he he really came to the place where he realized that though he was ready to die for Christ, you know, he wasn't really prepared to live for Christ in a prison, um, which I just thought was so amazing to think about. Is, is that you know he he says in the article that I was prepared to die and go to heaven. That would have been great, <laughs> but to spend. Potentially, I think he was looking at worst case scenario thirty five years. Wow, which would have essentially been a life sentence mm-hmm. for him um, in a Turkish prison. Is it, he wasn't ready for that? Right. He wasn't. You know, and I think about what Paul said in Philippians when he said, "You know, to live is Christ, mm-hmm. and to die is gain." 
His ultimate goal was that Christ be magnified in his body, whether by life or by Mm -hmm. death. And perhaps there are a lot of Christians, maybe Lauren Daigle even, who if someone put a gun to their head and said, deny Jesus or I'm going to pull the trigger, that they would stand up for Christ and be willing to die for his namesake. Mm -hmm. But then you have on the sort of the flip side of that, what about living for Christ when there is enormous pressure, when, when you're facing the possibility of imprisonment, when you are facing the, the, the possibility of being scrutinized and criticized it, to such a degree that it is incredibly hurtful and harmful because you stood up for Christ. That's a whole different proposition, mm-hmm. but it's one that Paul said, look, I'm ready, whether by life or by death, to let Christ be magnified in my body. And so the, the, the most powerful part of this article was where Andrew said he, he came to the conclusion through worship and prayer and time in the Scripture in prison where he accepted what he calls a call from God to be a living martyr, to, to literally die by living. Uh, if it meant spending the rest of his life in prison for the name of Christ, he was ready for that. Mm-hmm. He came to that place and actually began to, he says, worship and even dance before the Lord. In This is a ARP Presbyterian missionary, by the way. This right. is not some crazy Pentecostal <laughs> charismatic guy. And I can say that because I was one of them. Um, <laughs> You this guy, permission. this guy was dancing in a Turkish crowded Turkish prison. He said people were looking at him like he was crazy. Well, it's the Baptists that aren't allowed to dance. The, Presby- that, the Presbyterians right. will dance after they've been drinking. That's right. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I grew up, you know, hearing all kinds of preaching against premarital sex because they were afraid it would lead to dancing. Right. So you know, it's <laughs> you know, but anyway, this guy was dancing before the Lord in a Turkish prison and rejoicing at the you know, uh, at the notion that he would spend his life in prison for the name of Christ. Um, and I, I, to be honest, you know, I've had to question myself and, you know, soul search. I think I'm ready to die for Jesus. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think I'm, I think I'm ready for that. I think I would be up for that. Um, but to live for him, you know, to think about this guy, Andrew Brunson, the Apostle Paul even, who would write in Philippians and say, look, I'm in prison, and he never asked the Philippians to pray that he gets released. He just he just says celebrates with them, my, my imprisonment is leading to an advancement of the gospel. Right. And he's rejoicing in that. And it's that that is so challenging to me. Um, and perhaps Lauren Daigle's example can be... Um, can, can be a sobering example for us to, to stop and think. What would we do mm-hmm. if we ascended so quickly to that level of popularity? Absolutely. To, to that level of influence, and the question is posed, and all of a sudden, like the rich young ruler, everything, everything temporary is laid on the table, and are you willing to lay it, lay it down for the sake of Christ? You know, we ought to be careful before we point out the speck in our brother's eye and ignore the plank in our own eye. And that's and that's really universal, not just in Daigle's case, but across the Christian music spectrum mm-hmm. of people who end up going mainstream is there's there's significant pressure even in bands that I've been in, uh, where 
you know, our, our I guess, former singer now uh, was a youth pastor and he had things to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, how do you balance that with the fact that, well, we're playing in a bar with a bunch of death metal bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it you know, there's definitely a, a read and react and contextualize without without compromising you know and obviously like we're not fans of what daigle said but at the same time we're not going to crucify her for lack of a better term at the moment but you know you know as you're talking i'm I'm thinking about this didn't jesus tell us to be ready for this yeah if they hated me they're going to hate you and i think about how when jesus rose to popularity Mm -hmm. and the pharisees became jealous of that what, it, what was one of the first things they did? They, they catch a woman in the act of adultery, and they drag her out in front of Jesus, and they go, all right, Jesus, what do we do here? Law says we need to stone her. <laughs> and he's so masterful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Isn't he without compromising the truth and the standard of God in any way? He absolutely disarms them you know, um, f- f- from, from the trap that they're trying to set for him. And so... Maybe here's a little plug to just say, you know, we need to really spend time with Jesus in the Gospels. We need to to learn from him, and we need to lean on the promises that he made to us that when we're brought before authorities and questioned, which is not exactly what was happening for Lauren, mm-hmm. but when we are questioned, at, at the that the Holy time, Spirit will yeah. enable us to speak. Yeah, at the same time, that's that's kind of a, that's almost like a, Secular society gatekeeping type of question. Exactly, and, and especially since she had been on uh, on the it. Ellen DeGeneres show exactly. previously, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's like, hey, are you are you endorsing you know her lifestyle with that? I I, I think that was pretty intentional, obviously. Mm-hmm. And even though people, I don't understand why people freaked out about her being on that TV show in the first place, but. Um, well, but, they freaked out about Jesus eating with tax collector, tax collectors and sinners, right? And you know, um, I think that I, I don't have any problems with her being on the Ellen DeGeneres mm-hmm. show. If and if I have a problem with her being on Ellen's show, then I my band can't play any bars anymore. <laughs> well, it, it it's we it sounds cliche, and but it, it, it's not. It's scriptural. We're we're to be in the world and not of it. Um, and I, I I think my takeaways from the Lauren Daigle story and from Andrew Brunson's story is that, you know, I, I don't, I'm not to be afraid of the world. I'm not afraid. I shouldn't be afraid to build relationships and even gain influence. Um, I shouldn't be afraid if, if my talent gets me on a certain platform, um, because, uh, God's using it in some way. I shouldn't be afraid of that. But at the same time, um, I do. It is. It is for me, and I, I'm. I, I say this, you know, kind of examining my own. I'm pointing the finger back at me, you know. Sure. If, if if I if I were asked the question, am I am I ready for that? I think mm-hmm. I am. I think I think I I think I know what answer I would give. Um, but it, at the same time, I don't have nearly as much at stake as Lauren Daigle does. Right. That, that doesn't excuse her, but it, it it should be something where we go. Hey, let's not let's not blast Lauren Daigle. Let's examine our own hearts and go: Are are we ready? Because that kind of scrutiny is going to make its way down to the lower levels of popularity and influence eventually. Right, and I think examining 
potential foundations for all this is is worth looking at too. Obviously, like we've already said, we don't know where she goes to church or even if she goes to church, mm-hmm. uh, what her background in in the church is. But at the same time, with Andrew Brunson, him being Presbyterian, we know that. He's probably an adherent of the Westminster Standards. <laughs> He's right. probably got that foundation. And especially yeah. with the Reformation being born out of uh, intense persecution, in, in, especially in Western Europe, um, that got hashed out pretty well mm-hmm. in, in those guys' writings. So he, he has kind of that understanding going in, like, this might suck for a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas American evangelicalism... Often, God kind of exists to help you chase your dreams, mm-hmm. or it's all about your dream destiny thingy, as one Chris Rosebro likes to call it, <laughs> yeah. um, as opposed to suffering for the name of Jesus and in in the efforts of God using that to make you more like Himself in the first place. Which and and the what what you just said to me is the it's it's. It's the heart of the gospel, and then the the whole notion that that, that God exists just to make me better. That this kind of gospel that's getting preached, I think, it's the greatest threat to the true gospel in yeah. the modern church world. I really do, because um, you couple that with a society that's walking on eggshells in so many levels, uh, whether it's race, gender. Um, you know, you think about <clears throat> Megan Kelly, that, that story mm-hmm. recently that got fired from her show. Um, and I'm not saying that what she said wasn't genuinely offensive to some people. It's just an example of how the, the, the landmine that we're walking through as a society when it comes to offense. And my point is simply that we as Christians, we as ambassadors for Christ, we cannot be afraid of offending people right. with the gospel. And obviously we do that. We speak the truth in love, um, not with malice or um, insensitivity to people, but we do speak the truth because the truth matters. Mm-hmm. And there's there's always a place, not always, but there is a place for things like satire and, I mean, my own <laughs> brands use it. Right, right. Uh, there's definitely a place for sarcasm, mm-hmm. answering a fool according to his folly mm-hmm. and, and showing him how ridiculous his stance is, but that it's not an end to itself. Mm-hmm. The end is ultimately the gospel mm-hmm. and the spread of said gospel. Yep. It's not just it's not just, hey, let me see how many let me own the libs as, <laughs> as I've seen over and over on so many different political posts. Mm-hmm. Uh, just irritating one side or the other just for giggles. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is genuinely funny, mm-hmm. but it but it shouldn't stop there. Right. It should never stop there because if if that's all you get out of it, then well, you just increase the divide mm-hmm. in, in the long run, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you watch any of the George H.W. Bush funeral? I didn't. I didn't, but I listened to Al Mohler's The Briefing episode about it, so I feel like I did. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know how you felt feel about, about <clears throat> H.W. Bush um, or his you know presidency, legacy, whatever. Sure. Um, but I had this thought. I was watching the news early this morning, and they, there was a lot of coverage about the funeral mm-hmm. and his son George W.'s yep. eulogy, and and you know what I know about his presidency um, was only you know obviously only one term is that 
he seemed, at least he claimed, and, and history seems to prove that he he did what he thought is was right for the country mm-hmm. because he loved the country, because he felt he was in service to the country, regardless of what the political ramifications might be or the criticism he right. might endure. Right. And some people think that because he did you know, he led that way or he governed that way. It's what cost him his second term. Right. Uh, namely that he promised no new taxes. But then as he got into his presidency at the time, he felt like raising taxes was the right thing to do for the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said all that to say this. Here's a man. He lived to be 94 years old. And the story of his life was America was his love for America, mm-hmm. his service for America, all the way back to World War II. Yep. Giving his life and his time and his resources to serve his country. And as he dies, I'm not saying it's the only thing that was magnified, but what's magnified in his death and in his life? It's America. Mm-hmm. It's the United States of America is magnified through a man who loved his country, served his country, and did what he thought was right for his country, regardless of the cost. There, I think, is a pointer to what the life of every Christian should be. If all that's true about him, the the life of every Christian is that we live and we die in service to Christ and his kingdom. And we do and we say and we preach and we teach what is right and what is true in order that Christ might be magnified either by life or by death. Mm-hmm. So that when we live, Christ is magnified. And when we die, Christ is magnified. And it doesn't matter. It's interesting. You keep reading Philippians. It doesn't matter what we lose in this life. If that's our mindset, if that's mm-hmm. our vision statement, it doesn't matter what we lose for his sake in life. It's why Paul, you keep reading into chapter 3, and he's like, I, whatever gain I've had, I count as loss. In mm-hmm. fact, I count all things as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. So it, it's this, this is what I think it fundamentally boils down to for Lauren Dangle, Andrew Brunson, Cody Fields, Bradley Cox, John Ross in Nebraska, for all <laughs> of us, regardless of whether we're a, a, a church nerd, uh, a, a guitar pedal business owner, or a pastor, or a Christian artist, or a worship leader, or a janitor, it doesn't matter. To live as Christ, to die as gain, whether by life or by death, Christ be magnified. Is that our vision statement? And I think if it is, then that changes the game, even in the face of the kind of cultural pressure or political pressure that we've seen Lauren faced and Andrew Brunson faced and mm-hmm. how they handled it differently. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you bringing up uh, George Bush kind of caused me to think, oh, yeah, I might tack this onto my recommended reading of George W. Bush's Decision Points book, uh, mm. which which is actually, a, like, we've talked about it before. Like, I lean heavy libertarian, so I disagreed with so much in that book. <laughs> but you see the guy's reasoning. Yep. And he's like, here was this I've read thing. some of that. Yeah. yeah, he's like, here was this situation. Here was my thought process. Here's the stuff around it. And here's how I got to this decision. And just like how Jesus says, you know, be prepared to mm-hmm. give a reason mm-hmm. for the hope that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, we can we can at least take some lessons out of that. Yeah. You know, um, and then I guess my other 
more planned <laughs> recommended reading is The Cross and Christian Ministry by D.A. Carson. And he really hammers on in that first uh, chapter, or I think maybe the first two chapters, the foolishness of the cross mm. uh, and compared, uh, at least how, in how the world sees it. In yeah. comparison to worldly wisdom, is yeah. they see grace in the cross as mm. you know this this Jewish dude who got who basically got lynched, <laughs> and we worship that guy. Mm. Yeah, how dumb is that yeah. <laughs> to some people, to many people? Yeah. So that's that was those are my two recommended readings this week, and then and you, I would just recommend uh, we're going to post the link uh, to this article, a living martyr. It's the story of Andrew Brunson in the show notes. It's a longish article. I would encourage people to read it. It's a very rich story. So, if you are actively writing and performing music and would like to be an official Westminster artist and even get your song played at the end of one of these episodes, fill out our application at westminstereffects.com. This week, in honor of NASA landing, what is it, the Insight? On the surface of Mars, we have uh, Gene Perry, of who actually works at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and and this is his rendition, well not rendition, but his performance <laughs> at JPL's Got Talent on a Chapman Stick, <laughs> which that thing looks ridiculous. I don't understand how it works or how someone's brain can fit all of that information in there, but he made some cool stuff, uh, some cool noises through that. And it got recorded at their talent show a few years ago that he won hmm. while he was playing through some nose pedal stuff. <laughs> nice. So, on that note, here's Gene Perry. Thanks for listening. <laughs>